morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. I can't believe I messed that ordo up. I did the exact same thing at, at 930. I mean, that's just, that's just it. I mean, oh, goodness gracious. Anyhow, today you and I are going to learn about giving God glory. There you go. We're going to learn about giving God glory. This morning, we're picking up immediately where we left off last week. Uh, last week, you remember, the disciples uh, heard what they were supposed to do in ministry, and they freaked out, and they said, oh, God, increase our faith. And Jesus said, mm, you don't need to fret about your faith. You just need to focus on the faith you've got and put it to work. Well, today they're picking up on that, and they're moving south. Jesus and the disciples are heading south towards Jerusalem. We learned this morning that Jesus and the disciples are moving through this area that kind of has the crisscrosses into the Jewish Galilee and into the um, Samaritans' uh, country of Samaria. Uh, and if you remember, Jews and the Samaritans don't like each other. Um, they were enemies. They, they despised each other. Um, but here we find a group that is um, a mixed group of Jews and a Samaritan um, on the road. Now, as we hear this text, I want you to be aware this text will shine light um, on what Luke is trying to get across in Acts, as well as from Luke in Volume 2, Acts. Um, Luke is writing about the need for the church and for us to turn around and then move forward in faith to reach out to other people, those other people, those Gentiles, those impure people. Anyone who was not Jewish during Jesus' time was considered a Gentile. So, my friends, let us listen to the text and in the process, we're going to learn what it means to give God glory. Listen to the word of the Lord. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. Now as they went, they were made clean. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, We're not ten made clean, but the other nine. Where are they? Was none of them found to return and give God praise except for this foreigner? And then Jesus said to him, Get up. Go on your way. 
Your faith has made you well. Friends, this is the Lord of the Lord. Misery does indeed make strange bedfellows, beloved. Because what we see in our text this morning are two groups who really don't like each other. Jews and the Samaritans. And here they are, huddled together in a mutual misery caused by illness. All the despising of one another seems to have disappeared as they had to deal with their mutual calamity. On one hand, it would appear that at least nine of these individuals in the group um, are Jews. And we get this understanding uh, because Jesus tells them to follow the edict of Leviticus 14, where it says, if you have a skin disease or leprosy, you have to go to the priest, show yourself to be clean, and then the priest will say, okay, you can go rejoin community. On the other hand, we're flat out told the Samaritan is in this bunch as well. A Jew and an Jews and Samaritans forming their own little community bound together by their mutual illness and need for safety. What binds them together is their mutual misery and cultural ostracization, which transcends ethnicity or nationalism. Think of it in today's terms. You have nine Jews who were formerly in the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces and a lone Palestinian Muslim from Gaza Strip. And for whatever reason, they are forced to live together and get along. It's kind of the picture here. Now, following proper um, social protocol, the ten maintained their respectful distance from Jesus and the disciples. If you had leprosy or a skin disease and were unclean, according to the priests, you had to stay away. The shadow, your shadow, if it touched somebody, could make them ritually unclean. Yeah, they took it to extremists. But they maintained their respectful distance and yelled out to Jesus what they needed. Um, it might be like you and I going to a drive-thru and you have the, at the bank, you got the bulletproof glass and you can talk through this little thing and you see the teller, but you can't really get to the teller. That's what the, the, these, these uh, lepers are doing. Trying to get to Jesus, but staying away. And then, the, and then at this point, the ten lepers make a request. They have a prayer request for Jesus. It's a prayer request that each and every one of us in this room has said at one time or the other. Jesus, oh Jesus, have mercy on me. Have you ever prayed that? If we let our text speak for itself, we note that the ten afflicted men did not specifically ask to be healed, per se, did they? Mm -mm. They simply asked for mercy. 
They ask for mercy. Mercy means um, to pause and express compassion to another while attempting to alleviate a person's hardship. They didn't ask to be healed. They asked for mercy. Luke doesn't tell us exactly what, but he tells us what Jesus perceived they needed. Jesus saw they need restoration. They need to reconnect their relationship. They had to get back with their family, with their friends, their synagogue, their community in the marketplace, their home. He needed, they needed to be reestablished. Jesus saw the need to be pulled from the ranks of the marginalized and be reestablished as an equal with everyone else. And we know this by Jesus' simple command. Go. Go. Show yourselves to the priests. They didn't ask for anything specific other than mercy. Jesus doesn't do any abracadabra. He just says, go. Show yourselves to the priests. Be healed. But he doesn't say be healed, does he? He just tells them to go. Go to the priests and prove you're clean. And on the way, lo and behold, they get a clean bill of health. They were able to go to the priests and show them, I'm clean. See? And they can, their life can go back to normal. Now, if you were Jewish, you would hear Jesus' words as very sensible words of the day. The Jewish people um, had priests uh, that they could go to and get a uh, clearance to rejoin community and do all the right religious stuff. But who does the Samaritan go to? Who does the Samaritan go to? He surely would not be welcomed by the Jewish priest for a declaration of purity because just being a Samaritan made him ceremonially unclean to begin with. So he, was, he had two strikes against him already. Skin disease, and he's one of them, those other people. We read that the ten were made clean while they were obedient in following Jesus' direct command. All ten lepers did exactly as Jesus told them. They were all obedient. Jesus, Jesus tells me to go show myself to the priest. Okay. I don't know why, but I'll go. In their expression of obedience, the men were healed. They were made well. And in the process of being healed, they were once again engrafted into their Jewish culture. That relationship with the culture had been healed as well. But what did that mean for that Samaritan? Now that the nine were eligible to be declared clean by the priest, now they had to disconnect from that Samaritan who is just like them and have to say, no, you are unclean. 
because he's a Samaritan. What is the Samaritan supposed to do? What was he supposed to do? I can't live a reconciled life with these guys I've been surviving with for the last couple of years. I said, they won't have anything to do with me. You know, the marginalization of the other did not disappear in the eyes of the nine. Bob, the Samaritan, Bob may be healed, but Bob was still one of those people. You know, those people. What we see is that those who are marginalized in the story of Scripture are typically the ones who understand their faith best. They typically understand the faith best. They're not caught up and bought up into the system. They are marginalized, and so they don't have to impress anybody. They just live in to the faith. Bob the Samaritan leper may not have had a priest to go and to see and be declared clean, but Bob the Samaritan was aware enough spiritually, emotionally, for the need to go back to Jesus and say, thank you. Thank you. And give praise to the Lord for what God has done. The great Oxford Don C.S. Lewis observed that uh, people, in the way they express their gratitude or ingratitude, affects their being how they act, their demeanor. Uh, Lewis wrote, I noticed how the most humble and at the same time most balanced minds praised the most, while cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised the least. Praise, Lewis says, seems to be one's inner health made audible. Praise, he says, is when our inner being, our inner state of how we live life and perceive life is made audible when we make praise or not. Think about that. I like that. An outpouring of praise is a barometer of my emotional, spiritual depth with God and neighbor. And we slow down a little at this point and look at our story very carefully. We can also see the essence of what a Christ follower's life is to look like. And Luke paints it in his scripture, and he's doing it in the story very subtly. First, Luke has the Samaritan stop, turn around, and redirect his orientation and direction Back to Jesus. Does that sound familiar to anybody in Scripture? What did John say to do? Turn around, behold the Lamb of God. Even in the earliest parts of Luke's Gospel. 
And do you remember the earliest parts in Luke's gospel, those, those ne'er-do-well shepherds? You know, the angels say, you need to go to Bethlehem and see this great sight. And they go to Bethlehem and, and they praise God and give God glory. Turning around and going to give glory. It's, it's a theme that's all through the Gospel of Luke and we have it right here. The Samaritan turned around and he gave thanks. Fred Craddock, the former professor of homiletics or preaching at Candler School of Theology in Atlanta, he comments on this story by saying, what we have, folks, is a story about 10 people being healed and only one being saved. Think about that. We have 10 people being healed, but only one being saved. Now, why did he say that? Because all of the men in their obedience to Jesus were healed. But only the Samaritans turning around and going back offering thanks and praise and glory to God. It's only then he was healed in the spiritual sense. Jesus' last words in um, uh, verse 18, it can literally be translated, Samaritan? Resurrect yourself. Go. Your faith has saved you. Resurrect yourself and go. Your faith has saved you. See that word that we hear bantered about in Christian circles, are you saved? Means, are you made whole? Have you been restored back to God? So the Samaritan is the only one that Jesus could make that pronouncement to. Why? Because he turned back and gave Jesus thanks and glory to God. Beloved, for 110 years, people have given themselves and their gifts to demonstrate their gratitude for God, for all the God's blessings that God has done through this church in Fort Lauderdale, Broward, and beyond for 110 years. It's amazing. And you and I are sitting in this beautiful room that was literally built from the DNA and the raw material of other disciples who have gone before us out of their sense of joyfulness, out of their sense of thankfulness, out of their desire to give God glory. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's because of our forebears' joyful thankfulness. We have been given and entrusted with the saving hope and grace of Jesus Christ through this place. So how can we be like the Samaritan and turn around and give God glory? Well, it's pretty simple. You've heard me say it many times over the last five years. We give God glory when we, like the Samaritan, worship God. When we worship God. Worship is not about convenience. Worship is about falling down on the ground like the Samaritan and giving God glory. 
Worship is the link pin of our Christian tradition and faith. But the second thing is, is we are, as a people of God, to be wholly uncomfortable with our faith. In other words, if you are at the same place in your faith walk as you were five years ago, you're stunted. There's something wrong. Each of us ought to be at a different place along the road of faith. Third thing is, we've got to care for each other. We give God glory when we love each other. And this church is doing that in ways that are beautiful. We give God glory when we serve others in the community through our hands and feet, like building that Habitat house next week, or serving meals at Hope South Florida, or making meals for the, for the homeless. We give God glory when we are so excited about what we experience in our community of faith, we go and invite others to join us. Come and see. Just like Andrew, come and see. And yet, we also give God glory with our financial giving. You know, it's funny how People can go to a restaurant for a dinner or two on Las Olas and drop $150, $200. And the offering plate comes by in front of them and they feel bad putting in a five. That makes sense, does it? Our giving is one of the barometers of our thankfulness of God, to God and our way of glorifying God. Hmm. Something to think about. Worship, growing your faith, caring for each other, serving, one, serving the community, inviting others to come and see, and giving our best to God. That's what the next three weeks are about. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people say it. Pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, we come this day and give you thanks. Oh. Lord, help us not just be obedient, but Lord, let us be obedient coupled with a grateful sense of thankfulness and gratitude because we give you glory when that happens. Make us glorious people pointing the way to a glorious Christ. So be it. Beloved, let's stand and sing our closing hymn.